0: To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, it yeah. that 200-inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away.
1: <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my
0: hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, What's happening, guys? Uh, i got a brand new episode for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on Stephen Rosso um steven's just a diehard hunter um he he set some big goals this year uh harvesting a a next level buck and a next level bull man he just killed a bomber buck and and a really nice bull but he we talk about it in the podcast but he had like nine or ten weekends of scouting uh uh, trying to find these animals and and then a ton of time hunting um so he's just a a great go-getter um, he's a, a public land guy that just works really hard and accomplishes his, his goals and so um, really fun to, to see his success this season and then to get him on the podcast and have this conversation and, and dive in depth about, you know, locating these animals and harvesting these animals and just what it takes to, to, to find and be successful on these critters. So a really fun episode, great back and forth. I really enjoyed the conversation and I, I know you guys will too. Sponsor for today's show is Yeti Coolers. Um, Yeti's just a great company with great products. These Yeti Coolers, they have changed the way I'm able to hunt. Um, I hunt a lot in the the early season when it's hot. Um, If you harvest something, you instantly have to get it in a cooler and on ice, and the, the Yetis just keep ice longer. Um, You know, I can go on a week long trip where I'm living out of my truck or even when I'm backpacking is leaving this Yeti cooler at my truck. Um, So it's got ice in it. So the minute I get my meat out and uh, out of the field, I can get it on ice and cooled down. Um, so it's changed that for me. It's also you can you can freeze things solid on it, like um you know, some guys use some dry ice. I'll use ice with a little salt in the bottom and you can actually freeze meat and so therefore if you're hunting with a buddy, you can get your meat back on ice, back in the cooler, get it frozen and continue to hunt. Um I always like to mention too that it counts as a bear proof container. So important when you're you're hunting the national forest or Uh, Parking your truck at different trailheads, Um, it's gotta be your food has gotta be in a bear-proof container. You can get written a ticket, and and, uh, or worse yet, have a a bear get into your stuff, into your camp. But um, so you got to either buy a bear-proof container, or you got to hang your food, and it's gotta be four foot away from the trunk, ten foot high, um, so the bears can't get at it. Or you could just have a Yeti cooler, throw a lock on either end, and you're good to go. Uh, so that's uh, such a huge benefit uh, of having the Yeti is that it is a bear-proof container and, and um – and so yeah, I just, I, I love their products. Also love their, um, you know, all the stuff they have, their, their ramblers and tumblers, coffee cups, thermoses, uh, just have some amazing products that I'm using absolutely all the time. And um, they gave us a couple products that we gave away to Steven here at the end of the podcast. Uh, so that was real nice of Yeti. But yeah, just can't thank those guys enough for sponsoring the podcast and, and building great products. With that, over there at Eastman's, um, gosh, we recorded a good podcast the other day um, all about hunting with llamas. Um, pretty wild. Just dove into this this podcast about... Um, uh, hunting with llamas and just the benefits of them and um, uh, the temperament and, and uh, just some amazing information that had me thinking I might use a llama on that elk hunt but uh really fun podcast we recorded but yeah we're just working away here um, I know uh, everybody's been hunting hard a lot of success this year in the office I saw Lindsay the video editing gal she harvested a nice buck the other day and um, yeah it's just a it's been a great year and it's, it's fun to be a part of and fun to be a part of this, this company. Um, you know, gosh, I just used to, to, you know, I used to get my Eastman's magazines in the mail when I was, um, just a young kid or young twenties, I'd get these Eastman's and I would dive into them and I I'd read the entire magazine. I still have a subscription now and, and read everybody's articles that come out, but I, I can just remember so hungry and so thirsty for knowledge. And that was the best resource out there. And I'd, i i'd wait the mailbox and the new magazine would come and read it and just having these dreams and thoughts uh you know working for a western company and then to be able to get a chance there at eastman's to write and uh more opportunity to you know to do this podcast and do the little bit of filming i just um, so fortunate to, to work for such a great company owned by a couple great guys guy and ike i i really like those guys they're they're really intelligent um you know, they're so knowledgeable about hunting, but, but also just about business and life and things. They're just really good guys and, and uh, have good morals and good ethics. So it, it's just fun to work for a company like that that's, you know, the the leader in, in hunting western games. So um, really fun to get that opportunity. I sure appreciate it. And I'm just, uh, gosh dang it, I am so busy here <laughs> trying to get this house done and other construction work. And, um, man, I'm just swamped. Um, it's just killing me. i got to get after these muleys. They're rotting, and I'm just limited on time, but uh, the time I do have, I'm going to enjoy, and I'm going to go on this adventure hunt. I'm going to leave tonight with my daughter. It's Friday now, so go get a little work done here, and then um, we're going to get out of here and, and uh, travel down and travel to this muley spot I have and see if we can't track one down. We've only got a couple days, but... Uh, we're going to hunt hard and it's just good quality time that I can spend, you know, with my high school daughter. She's a freshman this year and getting older. And I just want to try to share the outdoors with her, whether it's fly fishing or hunting and give her these adventures and these things, the, the, this time that she can spend with dad one-on-one. So I am really looking forward to that. So, um, I haven't packed anything yet. <laughs> I just got to work last night till eight nine o'clock and, um, I'm just, uh, I'm running by the seat of my pants right now. But we'll get it all ready to go. It's only a couple days. Throw all the stuff in the truck and take off when she gets out of school and um, all all good to go. And hopefully we can find some bucks. I know they're rutting good right now. It's just killing me. Got to get out and get after them. And then the following weekend I'll be out with my bow and, and uh, try to arrow one of those big brutes, but uh, yeah, it'll be fun, it's um, fun, hunting season is here, Um, yeah, it's too bad my November is so busy, but that's just the way it goes, it's just life and responsibility, and things you need to get done, and um, I took a lot of time, and had a bunch of amazing adventures early, and so now I just gotta, um, just gotta knuckle down, and and, uh, get this house done, and get some other work done, so it's all good. Um, busy which is always good too i like keeping busy and um, getting things accomplished and that feels good as well so um, get some things done and hopefully i'll have a little time in this late season maybe that late season idaho or uh, late season coos deer and really take some time and enjoy myself so um, yeah i'm uh i'm having fun get some work done and head off with my daughter tonight so anyways great episode let's get this thing rolling so it's um uh, me and Steven were um great conversation eastman's elevated here we go Hey, how's it going?
1: Good, man. How are you?
0: Good. Sorry, I'm running a few minutes behind today.
1: Yeah, no worries, man. I'm uh, I'm moving pretty slow myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It sounds like you had a big overnighter last night or something, power outage?
1: Yeah, just a scheduled work outage where we had to do a bunch of work and shut down most of the power north of Jackson. But it's just one of those things we can only do at night because no one likes to have their power off during the daytime.
0: Oh, gotcha. So it uh, puts you to the graveyard shift.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Yeah. How often do you have those come up?
1: Not too often. This was just for a big project that's been going on all summer. We just kind of were at the final part where we had to cut over a bunch of our main power line into a new set of equipment and everything, and we had to turn off the power to do it.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Well, but that's good it's- to have done.
1: Yeah, we uh, when we work late nights like that, we usually get rest period the next day. So for every hour worked past midnight, we get off that the next day in terms of our normal work day. So I got a little bit of rest today, hopefully, but I still am in that weird kind of just weird zone where my eyes aren't focusing correctly because I was awake for too long.
0: (laughs) Man, it messes with you. Like there's a reason the military uses uh, sleep deprivation as a form of torture. Like it gets to you. And when you switch your schedule like that, you think you could just swap sleep and sleep, you know, during the day and make up that time. But it just seems like things are a little bit
1: weird when you do that when
0: you stay up all night. Doesn't that seem like it to you?
1: Oh, yeah, entirely. And I mean, we've it seems like we get a few of these a year where whether it's power outages that keep us up that are unscheduled or whatever but it just it takes a few days to kind of come back into the normal mode after you go through one of them.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. That's the way it is for me. I had a buddy that worked night shifts for quite a while and um man, he had a tough time like just getting his body to adapt to it. In fact, the guy I'm working for now, he does um He does shifts up in – he's up on the North Slope working oil rigs up there, and he does like – what does he do? Three weeks on, three weeks off, three weeks on, three weeks off. But every time he does a shift, he goes to all nights or goes to all days. So he's always switching his schedule, and then – his travel home from the North slope, he's always traveling for a day and a half to two days up all night. You know, he's just a zombie when he gets home and then takes a couple of days to recover. But man, it really messes with your system.
1: Yeah. My, uh, my, both my roommates are actually, they work oil rigs as engineers in the Gulf of Mexico. So they're the same type of deal and schedule They're They're a month on a month off. And so they, you know, and they do the same thing. They rotate like days or nights when they go on different hitches. So, I never know what they're on until they get back. And then I realize they look like a zombie for two days.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, I, I listened to a podcast not too long ago about, uh, sleep and just, just the importance of it and, and how many hours you get and quality sleep. And, um, yeah, you know, I wasn't paying as much attention to it, but I can say I pay more attention to it now. And you definitely, like I'm real fortunate, I sleep really hard. So when I go to sleep, the hours that I do get, I'm not waking up in the middle of that breaking up my sleep patterns. Um, but but I can sure tell a difference between, you know, 6 hours and between 7 hours or 5 and 7 or 6 and 8 or whatever. I can sure notice the difference just how an uh, how I feel that next day.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I struggle with getting really good sleep I don't know why my body just the past like six months a year I've just been in and out of weird sleep patterns and not being able to sleep well through a whole night and it's I've definitely noticed in these past like this summer and this fall I mean it really has taken its toll just on my I mean it's hard to keep your mind set up when you're not getting enough sleep you just don't feel like you're waking up rested ever you know
0: Man, isn't that the truth? And just tough to operate when you're tired. And I'm I'm not tired that often, but when I am, it's just tough to operate. And you're not um it seems like things aren't clicking as quick for you. Things aren't firing as fast in your brain. It just seems like you're a little off or something.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's it's I've been I've been trying to figure it out what's been going on for a while. I don't I just Yeah, I've been in weird Weird modes where just I I fall asleep and then I'm awake just ready to go at three thirty four in the morning. I'm like, it's not. I'm not hunting. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> you, and then of course, when you're in, when you're in the mountains, you don't want to get out of your sleeping bag. So it's all, vice versa once you're up there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I hear you. No, you get. Um, I'm that same way. I was hunting so hard for so many days in a row that yeah, I was just. Um, you get in a routine and then you just. Um, whether you got enough sleep or not, you're just up at that hour, ready to go, and it's tough to fall back asleep. There, and there's nothing worse than laying up, laying in bed like in the middle of the night, thinking, "God, I gotta get to sleep," and your okay. mind's just racing, thinking of things. I hate that.
1: Yeah, that's that's my thing. Is I just I struggle to shut my mind down. When I mean, if I fall asleep, that's fine. But then when I wake up at like two, three in the morning, my mind just starts thinking. And then I'm screwed because by the time I get tired again, it's time to get up and go to work. And then I'm just groggy.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, that's the worst. Yeah. A lot of people s- struggle with their sleep. Um. I had a buddy that was out here hunting with me. And uh, just the the absolute nicest guy in the world, the best guy. He'd do anything for you. Uh, his name's Janus. He's just so selfless. He he works really hard, and but um, he cannot sleep. He like gets like three to five hours a night, and he's just up all night. He's got a real problem with it. But then he naps throughout the day, trying to catch up on that sleep. You know, his body trying to catch up. But he has a real a real problem and real trouble getting a full night's rest.
1: Yeah, it's that's. That's not fun. It's it, it's a lot better when you feel rested and you're just ready to go. I because uh, I'm my other problem is I just I I'm not a good daytime nap person unless it's on the mountain, like laying on a side hill. I can nap up there, but when I'm in town. I can't just come back to my house usually and fall asleep. I don't know why. My body just – I'm just not a good napper, I guess.
0: Yeah, never. I, I can – I never fall asleep during the day. And Well, my deal even when I'm hunting is if I sleep at all during the day, then I won't sleep at night. And so right. I I just, I never take a nap ever. Like it, it may be once every couple of years I fall asleep during the day, but yeah, I just don't nap at all. I get all my sleep at night, but it makes me think about it, you know, as we're doing these traveling hunts and, you know, I'm, I'm constantly pushing. Like right now I'm a weekend warrior where I've got to drive Friday after work and, You know, work right right now, we're just putting in crazy hours trying to finish this house. But you drive Friday after work to get there, hunt Saturday and Sunday, and then drive home Sunday night, you know, a lot of times after the evening hunt. But I think about it, it gets really dangerous when you're traveling and you're tired. You're just better off to pull off and get some sleep. And even, it's amazing how even like a half an hour nap or even an hour nap, you just feel refreshed when you wake up. But, when, when you start getting droggy like that and you're on the road, like I I have never fallen asleep behind my truck, you know I, re, I refuse to, I won't shut my eyes, I right. won't fall asleep, but I start to lose focus on the road. like my eyes are open and all of a sudden I can't focus on the yellow and the white line like everything's going out of focus and I think that's where it gets really dangerous where you just gotta pull yeah. over and get some sleep.
1: Yeah, that was me this morning when we, we, we got like an hour break in between the outage and when we had to show back up to work. And so we went and grabbed a breakfast at a local place. And then we went to work and our boss just gave us a kind of a short list of things to do for the one hour we were supposed to, the two hours we were supposed to stay at work before our rest period started. And I had to drive out to the village and I was in my own truck by myself. And I mean, I was just, I was focusing and everything and I was awake, but my eyes just were not Tracking and things were, and I like I just found myself kind of jerking the wheel a lot. And I'm like, if there was a cop behind me, he'd probably pull me over thinking I was drunk.
0: Exactly. Well, I think it's more dangerous than drunk driving. You just, yeah, uh, you agree. you just. Like you're looking at the road, but and I've heard that it's like your um your mind is actually trying to fall asleep with your eyes open like you're you're losing all your thought process and and your brain reaction, and you're losing all that, and your brain's trying to fall asleep, but your eyes are still open and you're still looking for it. It's so weird,
1: yeah, it is,
0: yeah, well, hopefully you can get caught up on your sleep, but um Man, you got to feel good about things. You had a heck of a hunting season. What a buck and what a bull you turned up.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I spent enough time dreaming about how it was going to go. that once it finally got here and start, it actually, eventually, all kind of lined out and happened. It kind of was, you know, a very big weight off my shoulders for myself, just being feeling like the, you know, the effort was worth it after doing last year putting in a ton of effort and just not seeing it come to fruition it was a it was a great feeling to have everything play out how it did and it was just a couple of awesome great hunts
0: yeah well well earned and well deserved I know you worked really hard at it and and that's what's fun to see but so start me off, you like we talked and talked on the podcast and you were right in scouting season and man yep. you were you were scouting like a madman it was it was fun to see yeah. you were going every free day you had every free weekend you had and and going really hard like um what's your strategy when you're scouting for a big buck like that like how do you try to cover country or new areas or how do you go about it Stephen?
1: oh you know i just, of course nowadays with like google earth and everything it that's an easy tactic to sit on all winter while the snow's out you know piling up outside and i, I mean for this area in western wyoming i just i just look for the areas that to me just kind of reach out and scream mule deer you know I, I look for water sources, but not obvious ones like lakes and stuff that, you know, like we talked, I think the last time, you know, is going to attract horse hunters or bigger groups of pe- especially non-resident hunters that know water scarce around here. They're going to look for the areas where they're not worried about water as much as where I have the time and ability to put in a little more effort into finding remote water sources. So I kind of, but I, I base a lot of my scouting now on where I think other people aren't going to go. And, uh, just getting into more remote spots and so that was kind of my plan this summer going into it was just looking at spots I've never been before and seeing new country and just going a little bit more remote and a little bit further in and just into some stuff that I've never really set foot in but I had seen you know driving down the road at a long distance these high mountain peaks and just always want to go there and that was kind of how it all started and then you know I think when we talked I think it was another three weeks of scouting before I turned up the buck I eventually harvested. And, you know, between all the – I was kind of crunching numbers after my hunting, you know, was tailed off. And I think I did – out of 11 weekends before hunting season opened, I did 10 of them scouting after leaving work 3.30 on Friday, driving to a spot and hiking in. And then uh, those last four were spent strictly in the same spot watching that one buck once I found him. So he – I think it was the seventh different area I scouted when I found him,
0: okay, um yeah, good for you that's uh th- that's a ton of effort uh, ten out of eleven weekends uh, going for it you were driven and and you driven to succeed and accomplish your goals, and then it it came together for you, your hard work paid off, but um that's so cool to see, yeah, so much of the scouting nowadays, um like you were saying in the winter time um just choosing those locations and also you mentioned too like driving down the road and looking up you can see a long ways back in some of those bucky areas and it's tough to describe to people when you're describing you know, what a bucky area is, but it, it's just spending a lot <laughs> yeah. of time in area that holds bucks, and you start to find them in there, and you start to get a feel for it or a, a feel for the country, what you want it to look like. And so you spent the winter, and you picked out a bunch of different areas that you liked and probably some that you've hunted before and some that you haven't, oh. and then you were just going and you were looking for a next-level buck, and so you said you traveled to seven different locations. And so you're going into these locations. um, Are you, you're getting in there and spending the weekend. You're, you're obviously glassing morning and night and you're turning up bucks. You're just trying to turn up that next level one that you really want to focus all your energy on. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean where, you know, with this area, I just, I just know what the genetics and the capabilities are if I put the effort in and what can possibly be found. So I just, uh, you know, I have a couple areas I really like to look at every summer. I like to make a hike in there just because they're fun spots that I now know. But for the most part, I just like seeing new country. It's just, I guess, it's been in me ever since I was guiding for years. I just don't like getting set in the same spot where, you know, some people have their spot they go to every opening morning for 20 years. I prefer just to continually connect the dots. I like have always told myself where I like to connect all these ranges and I've slowly am starting to connect a lot of dots where things just start to all this country starts to come together when you get to go up these different drainages and just kind of pull it all together and realize I mean it's huge country but it all connects when you're starting to you know hit hit it from different sides and it's kind of cool to see it from that aspect so that's one of the other reasons I really like to explore new stuff is just gives me a different perspective and you know I go from everything from the high high rocky basins that have no water where you can st- where the buck numbers are a little bit less usually but i usually find some pretty good bucks up there to some of the little bit lower you know country that has a lot of younger bucks but you still find those 180 plus bucks down in there but it's kind of cool out here just to see what you know the the difference in these bucks you know you can find them everywhere it just it's kind of more what kind of country you want to hunt from lowland to high country. And of course, I'm a, I mean, I live and die for the high country ridges. And so that's where I like to be. But, you know, it's cool out here where we have the ability to hunt a little bit lower elevation and have them there in early season, just as much as you can go up in the high basins and find bucks to chase too.
0: Yeah, uh, you're living in just the Mecca for mule deer. It's such a great location. There's so many great spots across the country to hunt mule deer with good populations and good habitat. But, yeah, that western Wyoming is one of my favorites. I love that place. Um And and you're right. You can find them all the way from low to high, And and I'm the same way as I like that. That remote, gnarly backcountry, you know, and and it's, uh, I, c- I can find where the bucks grow up back in there and read the country, but a lot of those deer too, just just a thousand to two thousand feet down the hill. You know, it's anywhere they can get away from pressure and grow up, they grow big. And so a lot of really good spots are not on the top ridge or not in those top basins. And, And furthermore, a lot of those top basins that are easier to get to, the bucks get shot out of them and there's younger ones hanging up in there. So you do have to kind of find those folds where those bucks can grow up and whether that's, you know, remote country or whether it's, you know, sometimes it's a sleeper spot like a face right by a trailhead that everybody walks by. Or yeah. you know a ridge or a basin that can't easily be glassed. Like it, it can't be glassed from a trail or ridgeline. You have to lose elevation to get a vantage point on it. But but any of those spots where those bucks can grow up, it seems like that's where you start finding those older age class and those more mature bucks. Like that one you turned up. What a beautiful buck that thing was.
1: Yeah, I mean it. <laughs> i of course never forget the first morning laying eyes on him i actually the weekend before i had been up in a different set of basins and it was really it was gorgeous country it was not that fun to get into it was about eight hours of hiking to get up into it but it was it wasn't loaded with deer but the deer i found were all substantially worth going back for there was two bucks that there was one in particular that i'm going to be going back to look for this year he was a younger buck i mean just no no mass in his horns but huge wrapping mainframe with deep forks and inline matching inline kickers and then he was with a huge typical that both of them i put kind of in the 180 ish to push in 190 especially with the typical which was an older deer but i was sitting there the next my on saturday morning i I think it was sunday morning about to pack up camp and it was kind of hazy sun and i decided to look at this other ridge about two miles away for no reason other than i have a spotting scope and why not and I uh, I picked out a buck feeding in the complete open daylight and he just looked like a huge heavy typical and uh, I could see he had a big big tall inline and I just I couldn't see width or anything but I knew he was worth a better closer look so that's when I decided the next weekend to go over to that section of area and try and turn up that buck and uh, I never did see that buck again but I uh, I hiked in there Friday night and on Saturday morning I there.
0: Oh, um, yeah. Sorry about that, Stefan. It cut out there. Um, so, so That's
1: you. It was on the phone. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, no. So I, uh, I hiked up to the top of a a ridge, and I couldn't turn up that inline buck, and I never, I never would. The entire next four weeks, I basically lived on that ridge. I never turned him up, but. I was, uh, I was kind of discouraged by what I was seeing. It was, I saw some younger bucks, but just wasn't seeing the buck numbers. So I was pretty content on making my plans for hunting the basins I was in the weekend before, but about nine o'clock I was heading off the ridge and just, you know, back down to my camp. And I, I knew there was an avalanche shoot below me, but I couldn't see into it. So I kind of decided to lose elevation. I was like, you know, I'm up here. I need to at least take a look. And, uh, I, <laughs> i was sneaking down through the trees to look into this big avalanche basin and i seen him i could see him out you know he was in broad daylight and i brought up my binos the moment moment i put my binos on him i knew he was that type of buck i've kind of been searching for and dreaming of seeing just the one that has that wow factor you know that kind of holds your attention and uh i set my spotting scope on him and the moment i dialed in on him it was there was no question he was the buck i was going to be putting my time and effort into for the rest of the season
0: man how killer um yeah, sometimes it's just sitting down, like that spotting scope, two miles away, looking over those basins and drainages, and it's amazing in the summertime, you know, those bucks are just out for longer, they have their red coats, they're easier to see, where, you know, you might never catch a buck like that once it gets into the the harder rifle season, you know, out middle of the day, now maybe bow season, you catch them out in the middle, and 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 they do get up and graze around, but... It just seems like that scouting season is a better season to catch them, and and you can glass miles away with the spotting scope, and, and those deer that you wouldn't see with the binoculars, you know, all of a sudden you can pick them out with the scope. But it's so important, especially like as the sun illuminates that hillside, you know, if the sun's shining just right on that hillside where the sun's at your back. In your glass, in that hillside, you can look miles away to find deer and populations. But that's so funny how that led to finding the big buck.
1: I know, and I mean, I've you know, I've had a lot of people just ask me questions about you know hunting out west. They're coming out for their first hunt or things like that, and they you know a lot of the big question you know you always see people ask is, do I really need a spotting scope? And I mean, for me, my type of hunting, and it's different in different scenarios, but. I'd live and die by my spotting scope. I will put miles upon miles on my eyes before I need to put them on my legs. And out here, that's just necessary for covering country to keep finding things. Because if I were to try to see into every drainage I wanted to look into just with binos, I'd beat myself up. There'd be no way I'd be able to cover country like I do all summer because I'd just be dog tired trying to glass into everything. And I think, I mean, as you know, trying to determine the caliber of a you know it's a good buck to is it that next class of buck you really can't do it without dialing in on a spotting scope because you don't want to go in there and blow them out of the place they're living especially if you're hoping to scout them for the summer and having the ability to stay away from them and know what they are and watch their patterns from afar is i i mean i think that's huge in terms of successfully patterning a buck to hunt you know hopefully on an opener or early season when you know they're still going to be there
0: Well, yeah. And, and to your point, like to try to cover all those drainages. You you couldn't get to all those drainages and look at the right times like with a spotting scope and a master vantage point and your binoculars you can cover just vast amounts of country at the right glassing times that first hour and that last hour you know to see what's living around I'm with you I am a minimalist I I mean I'll cut the end of my toothbrush off but I will not forget my spotting scope and my tripod ever you know it's got to come with me it's just a necessary item and you know for locating bucks for judging bucks and then also like the bow season for keeping track of them like you find a buck that you want to get a stock on it's amazing how they'll snake in between the trees and all of a sudden they'll disappear and they'll reappear but f- to try to keep your eyes on them to to bet them in their exact position and get a high percentage stock that spotting scope is key
1: yeah and i mean like you know when a buck beds especially in those that scattered thick timber on a steep side hill, I mean, sometimes you're literally looking for a main being flickering behind a a branch to let you know he's where he's at, and then it's go time for in terms of being able to put a stock. But until you know where he's bedded, it's so risky putting a stock on these bucks because when they disappear in that timber, you don't know if they kept feeding across the hillside or not. And, I mean, I've definitely sat there for hours picking apart what – seems like pine needles and then all of a sudden i see a flicker of movement catches my eye and then as i focus in on it it's becomes obvious there he is right there but until that movement happened i mean i never would have seen him
0: yeah isn't that the truth um yeah isn't that funny how you can sit there You know, hunting, we hunted uh, uh, Wyoming this year with my dad, and um, we saw a really good buck put away in the morning. And so we sat up above where he put away, where we kind of had a good vantage point of all the timber where he'd bed in. And and we sat up there for, gosh, three, four hours, you know, just glassing around and those openings and in the timber and, I don't know if he changed beds or if all of a sudden I just caught him down in there, but then I caught like this really good buck down in the timber and all these rock slides and he was bedded down the, in there. And it's always a feather in my cap too when I can spot those bedded <laughs> mule deer because they tuck in yeah. so tight in there. But you know, that ended up, we ended up, uh, he ended up killing a nice buck. He actually shot the wrong buck. Um, but that, that good one, you know, <laughs> that gave us the, the, the opportunity to work down in there and he was able to get a shot on a nice buck, you know, when one, one of his better deer for sure. Um, but yeah, we had
1: but you guys having fun.
0: Yeah. Oh, we had yeah. one with, um, great big backs and a big inline and a really good, heavy, mature buck picked out for him. And, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we had them all laid down and um, shooting position. We had snuck within, you know, I think we were around 300 yards, had a good wind, just waiting for the buck to stand. And all, all of a sudden my dad goes, there he is, you know, after a couple hours of laying down there. And I said, where is right. he at? And then he answered me with a boom. And all of a sudden I saw that thing rolling down the hillside. He didn't wait too long to squeeze a trigger. And it was a really nice buck. I can see why he shot it. But it was, it was a different buck than the, the <laughs> one we had glassed down there. But. Um, really fun hunting with them and really fun hunting that Wyoming country. I've hunted it, you know, multiple bow seasons and I've, I've been fortunate to harvest some really good bucks out of there, but that was the first time I was able to go down and experience the rifle season. It was fun down there. I really had a good time.
1: Were you guys, how was your pressure where you guys were?
0: Um, you know it I always hear it's bad down there, but um, it wasn't bad at all. I mean, there was a few guys around, but they just weren't yeah. really keyed into what the deer were doing. They were kind of after some easy ones here and there, and we saw a buck shot and heard a few rifle shots, but man, it just wasn't that bad uh, like as compared to like general rifle season for elk in Montana it was nothing you know it just <laughs> it, it was like there was nobody around i couldn't believe it everybody had told me how bad the hunting pressure was during rifle season and every place we went we were kind of able to find our own little niche in country and see multiple different bucks and pass on a bunch of different bucks so we had a great experience um but i'm sure it can be different you know per area you're hunting and i ran into a bunch of bow hunting pressure you know, a couple of years prior where I was just amazed at yeah. all the guys in the hillside. So I, I'm sure it's, it's all about where you're hunting and, and, uh, maybe we just caught a good window in there. How was it for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, where I was, <laughs> so before the hunt, well, right about when the archery hunt started, I went up there and I hunted him the opening week of archery and the basin he was living in was just, <laughs> I knew from the get go, it just really isn't Archery friendly. There's not much for timber, and they were betting. So the four weeks I watched him, I rarely saw him more than five to ten minutes for through a whole weekend at most. He, I'd go days without seeing him, and it. He lived high on, out of the basin on a high ridge, and then he rolled into a steep avalanche chute. And I actually, I tried to hike over the top of this other eleven thousand foot peak to try and look down into there when I couldn't turn him up the next weekend after I originally found him. And I about killed myself getting up there and realized I couldn't do that every time. And I, I, there was no way I knew I could sneak down into the shoot to see, see him. It was just one of those places. There was a reason a giant buck called it home. And uh, so all these weekends of scouting and trying to pattern him, I always saw him up on that high ridge or he'd be coming out from what I knew. He was probably getting water down low and then he'd go up on the ridge for a couple days and he was just doing circles. But, uh, I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to do anything with him living on that high ridge because there was just no approach to it. He literally with the few other bucks he was with, he just had every angle covered always. And I, uh, so archery the first archery hunt he was up there and I there was really nothing I could do so I basically just kept patterning him and watching him and see you know kind of kept an eye on him and then um between that first weekend and the next it turned out I found another guy who knew of the buck as well and had scouted him early in August and uh luck, luckily he was a really good sportsman we got to talking we've talked on the phone multiple times you know before the season got really going in rifle and we were pretty open with each other, what our plans were. I told him I was, you know, if it got to rifles, I was going to go up one more week in archery. And I was, if it got to rifle season, I was going to hunt the basin. And he told me that he thinks he thought the buck was going to get blown out and was going to go to that kind of avalanche shoot he was going to be living in. So he was going to hike up the other Ridge for the rifle opener. And, you know, it was, it was pretty nice that we were able to be open with each other and wish each other good luck. There was, you know, no hard, anything and so that was nice but I uh then the next weekend I went in archery I made a stock on him because he had actually shed his velvet and was down in the basin which was kind of what I was hoping if he was going to shed his velvet that he might drop that thousand feet that sometimes it seems like those velvet bucks will do when they shed they kind of go back into a almost early October buck mode yes and uh so he he did and he was low in the basin like where I first saw him month you know a month before and he was down in this little coolie and I was by myself and that you know hunting solo that's one of your problems and I eventually just I couldn't remember I'd never been down in there to know how deep these coolies were and how long he was going to stay but I had a pretty good idea with the sun on it I hadn't seen him in a while I assumed he bedded so I snuck down in there and I made a pretty good stock and I popped up right where I was hoping he'd be bedded in the only patch of shade in the whole basin right below me And as I popped up with my bow, I caught movement out of my eye. And there he was about 80 yards down. He had fed up this coolie and then turned and gone back downhill and re-bedded. And uh, so I got to see that beautiful rack staring at me at 80 yards. And then he got up and bounced away into the timber. And uh, that was a a heart wrencher for sure, you know, because then I spent the next week just going, what if he left? What if he's gone timber? What if he's going into a different area? (laughs) Because... Uh, that, I guess that's my only, my only negative with putting so much work into one specific deer is you just overthink yourself way too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, you have to. Yeah, you're always second guessing or I should have done this and it's always hindsight later, you know, you think, gosh, yeah. I, I shouldn't have stocked that buck. I had a week left and then I had rifle season, but um, you know, he was in a good spot in a good location and you made a try at him and it didn't pencil That's out it. and um yeah, the nice thing is, is that it, uh, you know, and who knows? That could have played a role in your success as well. It could have pushed him back to the country he was familiar right. in, you know, pushed it, pushed him back and and tightened up his program. That's what I thought was interesting too, is how tight his program was during that bow season that you were talking. You only see him for minutes, and then you wouldn't see him at at different times. But boy, that is a big buck program, and and also yeah. where he's living at, like you know to like what we were talking about earlier he's living in a spot that's really tough to glass and tough to see him in and you know, he's living on that high ridge you know uh, it's part of the reason he was able to grow so old and grow so big but how killer man so made a play for him didn't get him and then um the yeah the other cool thing is um to be able to work with that other hunter and communicate back and forth and and kind of work together so you're not screwing each other up um yeah. but i i think that's so great on public land is there is you know there there is a, a a lot of hunters that are out there that are trying to accomplish the same goals and you do run into guys and and uh, for the most part like everybody's pretty good man nobody we don't want our own hunt screwed up therefore we don't want to screw up anybody else's hunt we want to have uh, mutual respect for each other and and we had that this year where the Hawaii guys were going up for. Uh, a real nice herd bull that they ended up, uh, Janus ended up missing it that night, but they were going up and they had, uh, you know, a couple guys that had came behind him in there, you know, and they talked to him, they all figured out a game plan. Those guys played low and in the basin where the elk ended up going, you know, and then these guys went up for him, but it's so nice when you can work it out where you're not screwing everybody up on the hillside like that. Um, but how cool. And then, so you went up, back up rifle season to try to catch up to that buck.
1: Yeah. So after, you know, after that, I packed out knowing I wasn't going to see, I well, I waited till Sunday morning, which was the next day after that stock. And I knew he wasn't going to be out in the basin. And, you know, it just, the whole f- five weeks or so of hunting him archery and then also scouting him before the season opened just proved to me how lucky I was the morning I found him because I never saw him in that low spot in the basin again until he shed his velvet that where he was out in the open. I mean, I, it's, I just got lucky that I didn't, you know, he wasn't in his normal high ridge spot. I probably would have walked out of there and never seen him. You know, it's just one of those things with big bucks that always makes you wonder how many you have walked past or left up in a basement you never saw. But I, uh, so I hiked out and then kind of just planned my game plan. I knew I was going to, I took time off work so I could hike in there the day bef- two days before rifle opener. So I would have one full day of scouting before the rifle opener. And, uh, I hiked in and left my camp in, I hiked in and, uh, the morning of the 14th, the day before opener, I was able, I looked down in the basin and there he was feeding kind of right where I hoped to see him. And, uh, you know, so then my, my, all my anxiety started really going through the roof, wondering (laughs) how this was all going to work out for me. So he disappeared pretty quick that morning into the low timber, which I expected him to do. And there's, nowhere it's thick big patches of timber so I knew I couldn't keep tabs on them so I just kind of took it easy I had all the water I needed packed up to my camp and everything and then that evening I hiked up on the ridge and started glassing down in there trying to see where he was going to come out of or did he come out and feed during the afternoon and I missed him and I eventually caught movement in a little patch of scrub pines down in the avalanche chute below me and it was him and his little group of bucks and so I was pretty happy to see him there and had a pretty good idea he'd feed in that basin all night. And so it was, I decided to leave before the winds shifted or anything, kind of, you know, 30 minutes before dark. And I headed off down to my camp. As I was walking down to my camp, I saw something that was just not something, you know, it was out of place. Pull up my bino and there's the white rump of a horse 50 yards from my tent. Oh, no. And, uh, so a group of guys packed in with horses and they – were camped probably within a hundred yards of my tent. And, uh, there's not much space up there on the Ridge. And I, I couldn't believe I didn't walk, run into the guys. I think as I came down the top of the Ridge, they were doing a circle below me to look into that basement, that basin, because we never saw each other. And, uh, so that was, a uh, you know, once they, once I knew they were camped right next to me, my, uh, my adrenaline was in overdrive in terms of, there's no way I'm going to lose this buck. And I, I got to do everything I can to, be the first chance. So that night I obviously didn't really sleep a wink all night, but I, uh, I got out of my tent at like four thirty in the morning, about an hour before I really was needed to. And I just decided I was going to hike. I'd made the decision basically that from where that buck was, I knew there was a small little Ridge from my time that I'd spent. Sc- I mean, my scouting was a hundred percent essential to me knowing that country and how to access into it. There was a, there's a small Ridge that goes out and almost, it's kind of, you can sneak out in the top part of the basin. You can almost stay hidden from if you get below it. And it's actually a pretty good access into the middle of the basin to make everything where I thought that buck was going to be about 300 yards. So I decided I need to get down there, but I obviously didn't, wasn't going to use any headlamp to, to go down the ridge. So I just left my tent really early and went incredibly slow and just went step by step in the dark and descended down into the basin through the timber and got below that ridge, that little kind of secondary ridge that pops out in there. And so that's, that was my plan. I knew I just had to risk the fact he might get bumped or he might spook out if he had fed the, a different direction, but I had to risk something. I mean, I just had to be aggressive because in the past I had, you know, I've hunted deer where I haven't made the aggressive move and it ended up in me not getting an opportunity. So I decided to do the opposite and, I got on that ridge right at daylight and as day was breaking, you know, the minutes ticked by like hours and I just searching, searching, searching for a deer body. And, you know, 20 minutes went by before I see, before I finally found him. And it felt like a long time. And the whole time in my head, I'm telling myself somebody else has to be looking at him by now. Someone else is putting their scope on him (laughs) and just one thing after the other in my own head. And, uh, When I finally found him, he was 300 yards away, and I got my scope on him, and I kind of might have rushed my first shot just a hair, and uh, I pulled my first shot. I know I didn't hit him, and uh, he ran about 30, 40 yards just kind of side-hilling because he didn't know what had happened, and then he stopped again, and I composed myself and made the correct shot that I should have made the first time, but I've never considered myself the the best shooter in the world. I was a better guide being able to tell people to keep shooting. (laughs)
0: well it isn't easy like a lot of people think it's a given with a rifle um but it's the same deal with a with a bow or any shot and 300 like you say oh yeah 300 shot and we're in the day and age of long range shooting but 300 yard shot that's a good shot man you got to keep on your you got to keep on your target you got to squeeze on the trigger and the most important thing with shooting a rifle is a good rest and you know how to shoot a rifle as good as anybody but it, it's just not a given and I bet guiding you've seen some guys miss some pretty easy shots over the years with their rifle because I know I have just between oh, yeah. my buddies and my family and myself you know I, I can't throw myself yeah. out of the mix as well but I've seen some easy rifle shots that uh, buck fever is real <laughs> you know it's uh, a little shake in that scope and i think the biggest yep. mistake guys make with a rifle is um so you know a rest is so key like spending your time to make sure you have the right rest and the right setup but then i think like finding that animal in the crosshairs and jerking the trigger I think is the worst thing you can do it's trying to yep. keep that keep those crosshairs on that body where you want to hit as you're squeezing it it's you know it's easy said here in a podcast but when you're sitting with a with a next level buck in front of you man i can see how it can happen so easy but um yeah shooting a rifle is no gimme either you got to be on your game there too and and spend time with your rifle is a big part of it too which i'm sure you did this summer just shooting it a bunch and being familiar with it familiar with getting in those shooting positions like there's a lot to it
1: yeah and i mean you know there's definitely people that put way more effort into it than i i'm just long range hunting to me is just not you know 300 to me is a long shot and there's guys out there that can make those seven, eight hundred yard shots all day. but in my mind, i I personally just don't see the hunting when you can sit there and talk to your friend at a this voice tone and the animal is in no way, shape or form gonna spook that kind of loses the hunting part of it. I mean it's a great shot, but it's not necessarily hunting anymore if you are shooting at a thousand yards. But I mean, it's one of those things like personal opinion of obviously, you know, that's a that's a heated issue in anything regarding hunting. I mean, the reason is we're all out here doing the same thing, enjoying the outdoors. I just don't personally have any desire to be shooting an elk or a deer at a thousand yards. I'd rather be shooting them at 300 or 200 or preferably at 40.
0: Yeah, well, and a lot of that's like personal preference, like you say, too. And, And to each their own, everybody gets something different out of hunting and. A, a lot of guys, it is that marksmanship, and it is spending t- a ton of time with their rifle and their loads, and making sure everything's dialed in, and then, you know, executing a perfect shot under, you know, a, a extreme amount of pressure and in long range. And so for some guys, that's it. I mean, I'm with you. I I like to get close. Like I'm a bow and arrow guy. I like to get extremely close. But with the rifle, I'm that same way but you do have a little bit more range and so yeah. i'm with you like w- when i'm hunting with my dad or my family a lot like you know we'll set up for those those 300 yard shots cuz i know he can make that shot you know and i know you know that's in a, in his range or in his wheelhouse you know and so we'll we'll also get into that 2 300 and I don't like to push it too close for him because I don't want to risk like our wind dropping down into that buck or yep. risk spooking that buck because I know he can make that shot. And so, yeah, there, there's just different ways to go about it, and guys get different things out of it. And I'm I'm not opposed if guys like to shoot long range and do that. Like it's 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 its own challenge, you know, or it's yep. its own deal. But I'm with you, man. I like to get close and and uh, like same thing with a bow. I like to get close and kill him, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah and
1: I mean. For me, it was, I mean, it was great to then, I mean, obviously to see that buck go down was just a wave of emotions and the anxiety was off my back. And I, uh, you know, I think like we, you and I talked the last time I've just, I've never been the type to yell and hoot and holler or anything. I, I, the silence of the mountains is just as much of a, you know, kind of victory to me. So I, I kind of just sat there and <laughs> I mean, I, I might've raised my hands above my head once or twice in silence, but I just took it all in and, you know, it kind of all settled that a dream of, you know, getting a big high country buck had finally settled in and the work had paid off. And I really, once I started walking over to him and took my time with pictures and got ready for what would be a hellacious pack out for the rest of the day, but well worth it, all I could really think about was archery elk hunting. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's a sign you're a true hunter, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I was ready. You know, I'd been spending most of my weekdays during archery season, obviously I couldn't get up in the high country for, to go after that buck right after work. So I'd been hunting around here for hunting bulls and just, it was, you know, from every single person I talked to all over the place. So slow up, I had some good action, just passed on some younger bulls. And I knew what I was, same deal with, you know, kind of my deer. I was, I knew what was possible with the general tag where I hunt and the different places I can go. And I wasn't picky, you know, I wasn't going to be choosing to shoot the first animal I I shot saw and I wanted to have a long season, but so I was, but I was definitely ready to start chasing elk. And I, I kept feeling like I was missing out on bugling action, you know, being so focused on deer. So it was, it was just as much a weight off my shoulders to be able to start hunting elk as it was, you know, to have the deer tag punched and meat in the freezer
0: yeah absolutely man it's stressful when you find a big deer isn't it like uh a, yeah, a, a big deer on public ground like you say you're almost your worst enemy just over guessing you know or overthinking it's entirely, everything
1: yeah, yeah. It's entirely a mental game with myself of i just need to quit second guessing and well tenth guessing everything i do and just you know just hunt <laughs> and just there's some things that are just completely out of your control in terms of other hunters and you just and that was that was, you know, I just knew I needed to do exactly what I wanted to do, put as much effort as I could, how I wanted to do it. And if it worked out, it was going to work out. And if it didn't, I wasn't going to walk out of there thinking I could have tried harder because I knew I was putting it all out there. And, it, you know, this this year it worked out. Not every year it's going to do that.
0: Yeah, no, it did all work out. I love to see when, when, uh, effort equals success, you know, and, and like you say, taking those extra steps of waking up at four thirty and sneaking down in the drainage to be in a shooting position instead of a glassing position, come first right. light, because you knew you had other pressure in there and, and you knew other guys were gunning for that buck, but yeah, you made the right moves, man. That's just awesome to see. And what a buck. So um, he's, a uh, he's got a killer typical frame and then he's got just a pile of extras on him, huh?
1: Yeah. his uh, he's got some pretty good extras, just kickers off his right side. And he's kind of got some gnarleness around his base. Nothing big really, but just, he's just a big old heavy buck. You know, he's a little short on his G2s and on his main beams, which, you know, I'm not going to, if I have to pick him apart. But, yeah. When I, uh, when I ran the tape, he basically grossed out right at 200, which, you know, that's that's the goal and you know i don't i don't need to tape him after 60 days it's not like he's a book buck he he hit that mark once and that's all that matters for me
0: Yeah, that's what i do i score him once when i kill him and that's about it like i i've i've had a few scored for pope and young so i guess that isn't entirely true but for the most part i score him when i kill him and i i score it to the exact inch i don't i want to know exactly what they are you know it's it's weird when guys are scoring like a lot of guys i think just guess at the number they want their buck to be and that's what the number it is they'll just tell you oh i shot 180 or 190 inch deer and um but, and then some guys, I think on the tape, I think they add quite a few inches just by the, the mark of the tape. So where the, the main beam comes through, you draw a line right. there and then that's where you take the measurement. Well, if you give yourself a half inch on every one of those measurements, pretty soon you gain 10 inches on that buck, you know? And so, um, I, I do want to know exactly what my bowler buck scores and just for knowledge, um, you know more so than yeah. telling guys. It's just to know what I'm looking at and to know what I judged them and how close I was, and, and so I can tell in the future when I'm judging up bucks. And and um, you know, love it yeah. or hate it, it is the reference point for deer. Like we don't get to weigh their horns or you know, like uh, they used to judge them by how wide. But you know, score is the the tell of a deer. And, and you know, it isn't it isn't the best judge all deer. Like you can kill a hundred and eighty right. incher that's an absolute giant, or you can kill a hundred and eighty incher that's, you know, a little bit more spindly horn and so it's not a a true gauge, but it's the best gauge that we have as mule deer hunters or as as hunters right. and so man, I'm with you. I throw that tape on and and I don't want to tape him in 60 days after he shrunk five or six inches. Like I want to tape him the day I shot him, you know, and yeah. know exactly what he is, what he was on the hoof. And then, you know, that's his gross score for the rest of the time that I, you know, I'm in possession of that buck or, you know, when he hangs on my wall or whatever, but that's the way I like to do it too.
1: Oh, exactly. And I mean, yeah, just as much for me, it's, it's more for my, the-
0: yeah, you computer. must be popular. Hopefully, it's not work calling you for a power outage or something, huh?
1: No, I, I could have. I'd ignore that one probably right now. But it's, <laughs> it's actually an elk hunting friend who I don't know what he wants. But <laughs> it's I probably like important then. Work, so that's on my phone. Unfortunately, my electronic knowledge isn't up to par right now.
0: <laughs> no, no worries at all. But, no big deal. Um, no,
1: it, it's just for me. I think all those years of guiding and everything, and just growing up out here in the West, just that that iconic image in that iconic like true trophy is that 200 inch high country deer that's just always been a dream of mine for me and so you know to hit that mark is an awesome feeling but if that deer would have eventually you know grossed out at 195 or anything like that that wouldn't have tarnished his you know my happiness with him at all because he had you know like what I kind of just like to you know, referred to as just that wow factor. The moment I saw him, those kickers, the mass that he had, especially when he was in velvet, I, I mean, it just, he had everything that I had been sleeping of and seeing, you know, in my dreams, the type of deer I wanted to hunt this year. He had mass, he was an older deer, he had width, he had unique character to him and it was just, he was everything I wanted and the score didn't matter. I mean, it's awesome that he hit that mark, but I could have cared less, you know, which, if he would have been left or right of that mark, a couple inches either way because, you know, that's the inches aren't what matters. It's just the you know, the pursuit and the story and it I'm gonna have a hell of a story that sticks with me forever about, you know, him being my fur true my first true giant high country buck and everything that went into getting him.
0: Yeah. Well said and well put and hard earned too. That um that definitely helps the experience or when you look back on it. Um you know, the you just have such uh, uh positive feelings and and um yeah you, you know you you went 10 out of 11 weekends scouting found that thing on your seventh weekend and then kept with them and, and that's a lot of that's how i like to scout as well is covering country and we talked about it on the first podcast is that yep. humans are made to explore and us hunters gosh i just love to explore new country and you were talking earlier in the beginning of this conversation about connecting the dots And I think that's really important. And what you mean by that or what I think you mean by that is, you know, you have these giant mountain ranges that stretch for 100 miles and you go up one drainage and you hunt for as far as you can walk. But then you really don't know what's south or what's north or what's over the top or over the side. Maybe you get a peek at it. But as you start to hunt more of those spots – like you start to get a feel for the entire mountain range and how, you know, that spot connects to the next spot, connects to the next spot over the ridge and why they like what they do. And you're just putting more pieces to the puzzle together. But, man, that just makes that experience so much more fulfilling. And, um man, I couldn't be happier for it. I knew you were working hard and you turned up some good bucks and just psyched to hear that that you put that buck down. And so then, um like you said, you hardly had that buck packed out and you were thinking about elk and so that's part yeah. of the deal with us Western hunters is it all comes at once in the fall and in each portion of it, so hunting curious. hunting mule deer is so fun and also hunting elk is so fun. And so you don't want to miss out on that experience. And so, you know, instantly like a little relief off you and go, oh, now it's to hunt an elk and um, you're able to turn up a good bull this year too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, that feeling was so great just to know, oh good, now I can go hike in the hills, blow on a tube and they might talk back to me. I don't have to sit there through my binos all the time. <laughs> it, it was a nice, definitely a release, you know, and so I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd gotten into some decent bulls around locally here, but for me, you know, the years of guiding and all that, I just love hunting elk off horses and being packed into the wilderness or and getting a far away, so as soon as I got that buck out, I uh, I made plans to pick up a couple horses for the rest of the fall, and uh, i The area I wanted to go into is a place I've wanted to hunt now for two years. It's really remote, big country, but I know it holds some really big bulls. It also holds a decent population of grizzlies, but I wasn't too worried about that. But I always wanted to go up into this area. And then, of course, as I'm sure you might have seen in the sky when you were hunting with your dad – some, you know, reckless hunters decided to leave a warming fire on the side of a hill and burn down what would eventually be 60,000 acres of country and 55 homes in the Roosevelt fire. Oh, man. But, uh, so when that got going, I was sitting there with plans to h- pack into this one area, which was kind of, was on, it was on towards the east side of that fire and the fire wasn't there yet. And it really wasn't affecting that the spot where I was going to hunt the way they shut down roads, I couldn't access where I needed to access to get into it. And I didn't want to risk being up in there and having someone come tell me, Oh, Hey, the wind shifted, you got to leave. So I decided the, this it, it's funny how my life really just revolves around deer hunting, but going back to last season, when I was in just full pursuit mode of trying to find deer, I went and hunted a kind of a big Canyon area. And, uh, I I hiked way up. I never did see a deer that day, but I looked high up on this really nasty remote ridge, and there was a huge six by seven bull pushing cows at the end of September. And it looked he out in broad daylight, and it looked like he hadn't even been pushed or hunter pressured at all. And I always told myself in the back of that I'm like I can't hunt that bull without horses, but I'm gonna hunt him. You know I'm gonna hunt this area someday. That looks like good country. So uh, I decided to go try and figure a way up into that basin country, and between that t- time I hiked in there and between Google Earth, I had a pretty good idea how I could access it, but I knew it was going to be a pretty nasty way to get in there, but I ended up getting horses, hiking in the next weekend, which was still archery season, and a friend of mine who still had a rifle deer tag came with me, and uh, well, and he also had an archery elk tag, but I told him, I said, you're deer hunting. I'm I have the horses. I'm not packing two elk out of here on two horses. (laughs) And uh, we went up in there and did, we we camped the night in the main drainage. And I looked up in the exact same hillside I saw a big bull on the year before. And there was a nice, beautiful six point with a big, long main beams and big royals. And I was like, well, this is awesome. This is great. And so we got up in there and over the next two days, I mean, I got into some of the most elk rut action I've had in my life. It was incredible. And uh just it was too late into the rut that the big bulls were so herded up and there was so many bulls in there cow stealing, I just couldn't break the ranks of any of there was three major herds, one at the mouth of the drainage, which was the bull we seen that at the night before. There was another big herd living in the timber in the middle of the drainage that I never did see on that hunt. And then there was another herd at the head of the drainage and there was we knew all the big bulls that we saw were in the 330 and above class and were, you know, 100% shooters. But we had a ton of fun. My friend missed a few deer and was a few nice deer, and uh, <laughs> I just I I passed up on numerous bulls, some really young, you know, some nice younger six points and some big fives. And I just I couldn't close that distance in the herd without risking blowing them out, knowing that the next week rifle was going to open and I could be back in here with my rifle. I wasn't going to risk blowing them out to trying to get on these bulls that just weren't cooperating. So we packed out of there and I made plans to come back in and with my rifle the next weekend. And I ended up coming in solo. And, uh, the funny thing was where we camped up in the basin, what it, we had elk waking us up all night long, bugling all around us. They were coming into the meadow. I mean, they just, you could tell these elk were not pressured hunting wise. You know, it wasn't, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, uh, it's one of those things you kind of hope to find, and that's one of the reasons I really like to use horses. Is just, that's one of the things kind of you're able to do with elk? Is when you break that eight ten mile barrier, you can find some of those elk that just don't get that pressure. And uh, we, I went in there and I set up camp in the dark. I rode in three hours in the dark after work because it was already late. And I, for me, riding horses in the dark is kind of peaceful. That just it's something I'm so used to. I enjoyed it. it. And as I was riding up in the basin, I heard bugling. And so I knew nobody else had been in there the couple days previous when rifle opened. And I, uh, I spent whole night basically listening to bulls bugle all around my camp. And I got up the next morning and hiked up out of camp and the bull that, uh, I never seen the week before was the one that was kind of running the herd that was living in the timber. He just had this unique, deep, nasty growl to him. And you could just, he was just a unique bugle and I knew it was him that was up above my camp. And I just, you know, there was something in your head when you hear those deep nasty growls, you just know you want to see that bull. Some, sometimes the bugle doesn't end up being what you're hoping it is, but I just, I just knew I had to see that bull and uh, it turned out to be just this gorgeous, gorgeous six point. And I knew right when I seen him at first light, he was a shooter. I, I didn't really analyze him nearly as much as I would, you know, later when I walked up on him, but I was able to sneak in and i uh, as i was waiting for him he was kind of feeding up on top of a set of cliffs above me and he, i was about 250 yards and I, he disappeared i could only see the top of his horns and i knew he was feeding towards where i was he was probably going to come out in an opening the way his cows were feeding and as i'm sitting there a, a raghorn satellite six comes about 15 yards from me and just starts staring at me right in front of me <laughs> <laughs> and uh I was so worried he was going to blow my cover and everything, but the wind was perfect and he just kind of, he kind of scooted to the side and stood there at 20 yards just staring at me. And that bull finally stepped out and presented me a shot. And this time, unlike the deer, I knew I was alone and I, I took my time and, you know, one shot and I watched him disappear below that same kind of ridge line that he was right on top of. And I knew he went down. And, uh, when I, you know, about, 30 45 minutes later, as I started walking up on him, that's when I realized the type of bull I had shot. You know, I had, I knew he was a good solid six, and a, for me, a general tag, no doubt, no sh- question shooter bull. But as I started walking up on him, he just kept growing, and uh, it, he continued to until I put my hands on him, and I was just, yeah, I was overwhelmed. I really did not expect to go up into that area to, and pull out a 360 class bull. I was just, you know, floored. I was, and then over the next 13 hours that it took me to break them down and pack them out. I, uh, I had plenty of time to think about it, but I kept smiling the whole time.
0: <laughs> oh, good for you. Um, man, that's El Hunt, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah, I, I love cool. getting into him like that, man. What yeah. a, what a beautiful big six point too. Um, gosh just dark horns and you know even though you can get tricked by their bugle you know you can just tell when it's this old raspy just growly bugle like you say you know you want to get eyes on that bull and you never quite know you know you can't put a score to him you just know it's a big mature bull that you want to see and you you most likely or 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 dang near i'd put money on it every time it's a bull i want to shoot you know unless he's all busted up or something it's like i can hear his bugle and I can tell what that bull is you know and and you can always get fooled or tricked sometimes early in the season they're not as raspy or growly but really us guys that spend a lot of time in the elk woods you pretty much know the type of bull that's bugling at you
1: yeah yeah and I mean I've you know I've always said it through the the years I we were I used to teach at a guide and pack school up in Montana and we used to tell you know guys that were there who really weren't experienced elk hunters trying to get jobs as backcountry guides you know you can't judge a bull based on the bugle, but when it comes to those big, mature bulls, I mean, you can't obviously judge them. Oh, that's going to be a 350 bull, but you know, it's going to be a mature bull that's older in age by that, you know, those raspy bugles. And those, for me, those are the type of bulls I like to pursue and chase. And, but to hunt a giant basin area that just had three big herds just load, I mean, I probably saw between 25 and 30 bulls on that archery weekend, the weekend before. And, uh, to know the bulls that I left up there, one in particular, who's probably just right at about the same size as my bull, just a just a little bit different horn construction, not as long of beams, but really good fifths and everything. I mean, it already has me just kind of more than daydreaming nonstop about trying to get up in there a little bit earlier in archery season next year to hit them before they really get too cowed up to where I hit them just a little bit too late to pull those big herd bulls away from the cows, they just, there was so much cow stealing. It was, it was incredible. You know, I was so, I was so intermixed right among them when I was on the archery hunt. I had elk all over me. I didn't, I wanted to pull out a, my camera and just record it because it, I wasn't doing any calling and it was just, I mean, hours of bugling nonstop all around me. It was so much fun just to be there and be a part of it.
0: Oh, th- those are the moments that I live for. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I will hike you know, for all year long, multiple years in a row, as many days as I can go miles and elevations to get into that experience. Like that experience when you're in it and you're, you have elk all around you and bugling like crazy and cow calling and all the noises, like the excitement and the thrill of that. That's, um, that's tough to match with, with any kind of hunting out there. It just doesn't get more thrilling than that. I love those big elk parties like that. I love getting into them. I, I, I had a great one like the last day of the season this year where I was into a good elk party, you know, with the snow and the cold and north wind. And, man, it was just amazing, you know. But, uh, yeah, those are the moments I live for. Uh, and us as hunters, like you you just keep trying to recreate or search for that you know, that, right. that magical drainage or that spot that's holding them <laughs> like that spot that you're talking about. So, yeah, um, that'll be a spot you'll have to go check out a little bit earlier. And so you want to go in there earlier. So you think when those big herd bulls are, are cowed up like that, like they're not chasing sounds or chasing bugles. They're just trying to keep the cows they have. And so you want to get yeah. in there earlier. Before those big bulls are cowed up where they're still searching or looking to pick up more cows or traveling with a smaller herd, that's not such a big group. Uh, do I have you right?
1: Yeah, you know, and I've always, you know, I guess it all depends on the scenario. you know sometimes you can hunt a big bull when he's herded up with cows when it's just him and not that many other satellites if you can, you know, cut him off or things like that. But I did not, I mean, I 100% did not expect to see what I saw up there, that archery. Weekend. I mean, I did not expect to see 25 to 30 bulls, which of those, I mean, six of them were in the 320 and above class, uh, you know, and some of those were satellite bulls. I just, I was floored. You know, I did this area I went into, I really did not expect to find bulls of that caliber. I mean, I knew there was, there should be some herd bulls of that caliber based on what I'd seen the year before. I just didn't expect to see 25 to 30 bulls in one basin area. And just all these three different herds of elk in this pretty small area for three big herds of elk to be. And so my heart, you know, when I got on them, I just, I knew pretty right away, just watching the herd bulls that I got to watch, that they were aggressively rutting. They were chasing off all the other satellites, but they weren't coming to calls. I mean, they would bugle to a bugle all day long. they bugle to a cow call all day long, but they weren't going to leave the hot cow more than 10 yards away. and. I just knew with the amount of elk in each herd, there was just no way I was going to break the rank without risking blowing the whole group of them out of there, which was something I didn't want to do. You know, with knowing that I had the opportunity to come in with a rifle, if I didn't have that opportunity, I would have had to focus on being a lot more aggressive.
0: Yeah, you played it smart for sure. Um, yeah, it seems like, uh, late in the season, those elk tend to group up, like the feed burns off. They're looking for those second cycle estrus cows, you know, that are, that didn't get bred the first time around, that now they're, you know, there's not as many cows going into estrus, but it's those ones coming into second cycle. But it seems like those elk, they tend to really group up towards the end of the season. And I've also seen it, like, at the beginning of the season, like around, September 5th or so, like I, I've noticed the cows will summer all summer long in these areas and in these basins. And then right about when the rut kicks off, all these bulls move in and they all yep. sort out which ones are going to get which cows. And then they take <laughs> off with their herds and get out of that drainage. But uh, that's another time where I've seen those big get togethers or those big parties out. But, man, I just love being into them like that. There is nothing like that.
1: No, it's awesome. And like, yeah, kind of going to what you're saying about the, you know, the summer scouting elk that one of the spots I had scouted for deer earlier in the season, it was some big high country stuff that I'd never been in. And I actually found like 300 head of elk way up at 11,000 feet. But there wasn't a single, you know, there was like a a couple raghorn, you know, fours or fives. There wasn't a single even small six in the whole group. And so the whole time I'm just sitting, I'm like, I know there's going to be herd bulls coming to split up 300 cows at some point up here. So that was another area that was in the back of my head, but it was just so remote, even with horses. It was, (laughs) I was trying to, I was having a hard time trying to figure out how I was going to get into it. So I was, when I went back to thinking on last year, I was like, yeah, why am I even overthinking this? I need to go where I know there was a big herd bull last year. It, that's the type of place they're going to be this year. And you know, I got lucky that it turned out to be just an, a, at least for this year, was an elk honey hole, and I, I mean, I know I can go back there next year, and there's going to be a mature, some mature bulls there, and I'd really love to see one bull in particular make it to next year, and really j- drop my jaw if I could see him another year older. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah uh well good for you you got some awesome prospects for next season uh had an insane season this year man really happy to see i love seeing uh when when a guy really puts the effort in and then accomplishes his goals and and like you say you got so much backcountry savvy too been guiding and hunting for so many years so man it's really cool to see
1: yeah man i appreciate it it's uh you know some years it works out some years like last year for me it it didn't but you know i I can't complain as long as my freezer's full, and I always I always have a late-season cow tag that I can do that with. And I can, for me, that's kind of why I, I guess, put so much effort into, you know, chasing a big buck and a big bull is, for, you know, in the end, I just want to know I have meat through the winter and in the summer, and I can always fill that with a late-season cow tag. So that's kind of why – I have the ability with, you know, being lucky to be a Wyoming resident, the tags that I'm able to buy over the counter enabled me to be pretty picky in terms of what I know I can do and get away with. And, you know, if I was living back in Idaho where I grew up and things like that, the seasons are structured differently where I wouldn't be as picky because I, you know, I'm limited more into how I'm going to fill the freezer, you know, what kind of tags I can have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why we all set different goals. And and also those goals have to match, you know, your opportunities that you're able to create. You know, if you never found a... Uh, a a 360 bull you you couldn't hold out for a 360 bull they just don't grow in your area you don't see them you know so yeah they have to match your opportunities and it is good that you have a a backup plan and that's like me like they'll give me five white tail doe tags over the counter so you know if i hold out for a really nice six point bull one year and i don't kill one like I, I know I'm going to have plenty of meat to make it through the freezer. I've got other mule deer hunts, and I've got other ways to supplement my freezer. But, um, yeah, that's cool. you got a, a special opportunity. You've created a, a good life for yourself there in Wyoming. And, um, yeah, it's just neat to see. It's it's really cool when um, we have the opportunity to live out west here and, and uh, really enjoy the country that surrounds us too and the mountains that surround us Um it's it's just really fun to get back there and and test our skills and and uh, test ourselves both mentally and physically because it is a grind. Ten out of eleven weekends this summer is a grind. You know you're going for it constantly, uh, and, and you're also trying to work a full time job and take care yeah. of other responsibilities. Like it it isn't easy. So um, it, it's really good that you get out and make the most of it.
1: Yeah, you know you gotta you gotta try I'm already. <laughs> already sitting here calculating how many days off I'll have by next fall, but I've got a wedding I need to go to here, but a trip here. I mean, it's, it, it's definitely, you know, we all, you know, the majority of people are just, we, you know, we work, we have, we're we, glorified weekend warriors who take a little extra time off when we can in hunting season. And, you know, it's, I, for me, I structure so much of my scouting and hunting around knowing I can do a lot of this on, just is if i leave work on friday afternoon in the summer i can scout this area i could hunt this area on a weekend trip you know and i, I you know everyone you got to just kind of base it by what you're able to get away with and not push yourself too far because if you're scouting country that you really can't can't hunt with the time you're be given you're just going to push yourself and drive yourself crazy and so i i try and try and take that into consideration, even though, you know, about every August 15th, I consider I'd need to quit my job for the next two months, but, I still haven't done that one yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, we are wired the exact same, and I think we're wired uh, the same as a lot of Western hunters out there. It's just yep. uh, we're lucky we have passion in our life and something that we love so much that we try to plan our, our whole entire year around. So, man, it's, <laughs> it's so cool. I'm so glad I connected with you. Um, so, Stephen, the sponsor for today's show is Yeti, and uh, so they gave us a, a 30-ounce tumbler and a 36-ounce rambler. Um, the Rambler's like a like a thermos with a lid on it. Man, it's really killer. I've been using it great for coffee and and uh, cold drinks as well. But um, hang on, after the podcast, I'll uh, grab your address from you. We'll send you that and uh, also some Eastman's gear. But man, I sure appreciate you taking awesome. the time. Um, I, again, I'm just really happy I connected with you. You're just a, a diehard Western hunter, and congratulations on all your successes, season.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Congrats on yours as well. Always enjoy talking to you about hunting big game in the the high country of the West.
0: Yeah. Right on, man. We'll, we'll keep in touch and, um, we'll have you on again and, um, get ready for next season.
1: All right, man. Sounds good. Same to you.
0: Okay. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, really fun conversation with Steven, just back and forth and, um, just public land hunting for, for next level critters. I just, uh, I love that stuff. I, I swear I could talk all day long about, uh, uh hunting public ground. And I, I love that Western Wyoming and, I'm thinking about hunting Wyoming next year I've got a I got a couple points there something like that 2015 I think is the last year I hunted it so um, I really want to get back there I love hunting mule deer in that country and hunting it with my dad this year was uh, an amazing experience it's just really fun to get in there i had never seen it during the rifle season and pressure wasn't too bad where I was at but you know I think it's it depends on where you go and, um, you know, and, and luck of the draw too. Sometimes the weather pushes all the people in one place or, um, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, it's non-residents. We can't hunt the wilderness. And so that forces us, a lot of us onto the national forest. And also, you know, hunting that opening week is usually a lot of pressure. So there's there's ways to get around it so we can all enjoy the the public lands, you know, that, that these Western states have to offer. But uh, yeah, you just got to Got to be strategic and with your planning and and uh, with the places you hunt, and then be flexible. Be willing to go to other places. Be willing to hike farther, hike longer. Being able to bushwhack off trail, get away from water. You know all those things that we talk about to get away from the pressure. But um, but yeah, it's uh it'll be fun starting to plan out next season. I love starting to think about tags and hunts and opportunities. It's kind of like buying a lotto ticket when you apply for these tags. Is you know the lotto ticket, yeah. You're never gonna win with the odds, but there's a chance, you know. And so you just start thinking over the possibilities, and you got way better odds at drawing a decent tag than you do winning the lotto. But it's just the possibility of going on these adventure hunts that's really fun to play out in your mind and kind of uh, look at the different mountain ranges and different states and try to plan out your fall. So it's a it's a really fun time of year. I love doing all the research and and you're trying to find those those areas that hold those next level critters so um fun putting in the research and putting in the work and you really feel like you're paying your dues towards next season so um that'll be fun that's coming up a couple more hunts left though um say I've got to get this work done and and uh knuckle down and and uh get this house finished and things but uh the days I do have I'm going to go enjoy myself and it's going to be a uh, a really fun trip with my daughter here. We only got a couple days but uh just go have some fun and quality time and and good conversations and um just you know have an adventure together. So it's uh, pretty fun. I'm pretty fortunate that that she enjoys it and still wants to go and and uh so, yeah, I'm, I get my truck loaded up here and, and uh, get on the road when she gets out of school. I got to go get a little work done here, but uh, get this podcast out and everything I need to get done, and then I can feel pretty good about being out for the weekend. But. Um... Yeah, uh, sponsor for today's show is Yeti. Again, thanks to Yeti for giving me that rambler and tumbler I was, ev- I was able to pass on to Stephen and give to him just amazing thermoses, cups. Um, I love their coolers, keeps ice longer, bear-proof container, uh, just amazing products and amazing company and can't thank them enough for sponsoring the podcast. And... Um, yeah over there at Eastman's, like I say, I saw lindsay uh the the video editing gal shot a deer the other day, which you know I don't think she was a hunter before she started at Eastman's, so that's pretty amazing to see and and um yeah, I know you know uh, guy and Ike both crushed good mule deer and and antelope and um it's just been a, a heck of a season for for Eastman's, and can't wait to see some of these hunts coming out on beyond the grid and on Eastman's hunting t v it's it's gonna be amazing, I know i I turned in a couple of hunts that I know it's the best work I've ever done. I can't wait for them to edit together and, um, fell a little short on the elk hunt. You guys probably heard in that solo episode. If you guys caught that, um, my, uh, malfunction with my bow, God, it just kills me. But I got that bow all set up and just shooting right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm fortunate. I, uh, you know, working for Eastman's and, um, got one of those new Matthews coming, um, And uh, I actually saw that we um, picked up uh, uh, Matthews as a sponsor for the podcast, which is just absolutely amazing at, um, you know, this – this content, you know, my my house by day is or my job by day is building houses, you know, and, and that's really what pays my bills and, and uh runs the household here and, and pays for my family and everything I'm able to do. But um it, it sure is nice, you know, taking the time to do this podcast. It it, it eats up a, a lot of my free time. It's a labor of love. It's something I, I love to have these conversations, these next level conversations, but it's it's free content that I'm putting out there that nobody has to pay for to get that you can all listen to and improve your hunting skill and and um you know that's all afforded by these sponsors um so make sure to to check out these sponsors that we have on the show um you know we only have the the best gear you know i'm fortunate that you know working for Eastman's they they have good relationships with these companies and and um yeah it it's nice to get a a little bonus or at least get get paid for my time of putting out this content I, it's amazing really um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Can't wait to get this new Matthews in my hand. The last year's, uh, the triax is just a shooter. Um, I don't know how they can outdo that bow. I was, I was, uh, really excited or, um, really pumped with the way that bow shoots. So, um, I've got that new rest on it that actually works in the cold. So, uh, <laughs> I'm stoked about that, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's killer. Um, life is good. Just busy. Um, just get some work done and hunt as I can and hopefully I get lucky on a, on a nice heavy old rutted up buck, but, um, we'll just, uh, we'll give her hell trying anyway. So, um, well, that's a wrap guys. I better get to work. Uh, I got to pour some concrete counters here and, um, so we're going to pour one of those and then, uh, try to get out of there at a decent hour and, um, and get on the road and, uh, get to the, get to some good muley country and, um, hopefully in the morning me and Taylor, uh, my daughter can, um, can turn up a good one and and uh i know she's dialed with that rifle and shooting positions and got her ready for everything i need to get her ready for so um yeah i just got to get out there and start hunting and see what we can turn up and have some fun together anyways so um thanks as always guys for the support uh the the downloads on the podcast and yeah without you guys i couldn't make this thing happen and Um, so I just want to look out for you, uh, make sure that I'm putting out really good content and, and, uh, making it easy to get and, and quality conversations, good guests. Um, you know, I'm always trying to improve every facet of my life, but this podcast, it's just, uh, I want to, I want to put the majority of my effort into it just to make it as good as I can make it. You know, there's, there's a lot of podcasts out there nowadays and, and, uh, we got to find our niche and, and, um, we got to keep putting out really good content or, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, like I say, there's a lot of competition out there and we just want to separate ourselves from the competition and make sure that we're, we're giving you guys really good content to listen to. And, um, God, it makes the day go better, doesn't it? Like podcasts are just a huge part of my life. I, I love listening to them as they just, uh, pass the time and, and, and it's nice that you're, you know, you're, you're improving your life or you're learning and gathering information as you're, as you're working or as you're driving or commuting. It's just, uh, it's, um, it's been hugely beneficial for me. I I just love listening to them. And I, I know you guys do too. These podcasts are just amazing. You know, not, not, you know, I'm not saying like my podcast is, I'm just saying podcasts in general are amazing, but, um, Anyways, that's a wrap. Um, God, I'm I'm delusional. I gotta get some work done here. I just been working too much. But uh, have some fun tomorrow. But thanks as always, guys, for all the support. Um, I wish you guys. Uh the best of hunting this the rest of this season and i i've seen you guys had some success this year and i'm sure you've had some failures too but there you know you got a couple options you you either keep working hard towards your goals or you know i don't know what the other option is but um, you know that that's definitely always the answer for me is to uh, stay positive keep working hard towards my goals and and uh, positive things just seem to happen, and I know it'll happen for you guys too, but uh, thanks again, guys. Um, I've been rambling too long. That's a wrap. Eastman's elevated. Steven Rosso, great conversation. Uh, Thanks again, guys.